Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now here's today's message. When God framed the universe, he thought of everything. From the building blocks of atoms to the complex ecosystems of earth, everything has a harmonious balance and order. In the same divine wisdom, he designed the family to follow a structure. When we ignore his guidance, a family is vulnerable, fragile. But if we adhere to a biblical blueprint, a family stands like a fortress, strong and unshaken by the rains and floods and winds of the world. Well, we hope that your family is a fortress And we hope that as we've gone through this particular series from parenting to marriage and now today, probably one of the most controversial issues in Christendom inside of the church, um, I'm going to be addressing roles and in particular order in the Godhead, in family, and in the church. So we're going to take a look at that today. And... um, but before I do that, I just want to give a shout out to, to Doug and the, the team here for stepping up. And I just am so thankful for them. Yeah, you can give my hand. <clears throat> um, some of you were here last week and Renee uh, made the announcement that, um, as you may know, and I want you to continue to be praying for Olivia. She's uh, got an issue in, the, in her throat. She's going to have to have some surgery and there's vocal cords there. And that's kind of her livelihood. And I just... We're hoping and praying for a perfect uh, procedure with the uh, with that surgery. About simultaneously, um, uh, Kai, her husband, basically said, "Listen, I've got some my own brokenness I got to deal with, and I really can't deal with it being on staff." and And I understand that, and I actually respected him for uh, for that. And so, to see this team step up and do that, they're going to be uh, stepping up from really for the next three months and uh, carrying us when it comes to this area of worship and bringing some order. Certainly, uh, if I was leading worship, there would definitely be chaos. Um, So this idea of bringing chaos, taking chaos and bringing order to it. Before I do that, I just want to say, last week I I had a kind of an humbling experience. I preached at my home church. I'm from a small town in western Kansas. I grew up in a Methodist church and the I've, I've preached there, I think, a long time before. My first sermon, of course, was there, but then I, I preached there one other time, I think. But they actually had to do a revival, a three-day revival. And I, I don't know what you think of when you think of a revivalist. My face is not near that sentence, really. So I had to kind of think, you know, I feel like I'm kind of a field general. I'm a pastor. I'm out here in the, on the trenches, you know, doing the thing. But revivalists are kind of these guys that, I don't know, they, kind of Billy Graham's. You know, they, they preach the gospel. Every time they preach, they preach you know, salvation and what it means to have life in Christ. And nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I just don't see myself as that, as that guy. So I got to thinking, well, if you're going to be revived, that means you have to be vived at some time, right? So I, I talked about some things that actually have been reviving my own heart in my own journey in the last, really the last hunk of time. So it, it, I think it connected and it was, but it was great to be home. So um, it was home meaning Kansas and it's great to be home here uh, now that I'm here. Some of you are really good at bringing order from chaos. 
I've seen this happen in all kinds of ways. I've seen some people, they've got this ability to organize shelves or closets or kitchens or shops. They're just amazing. It's like they, they put things together and go, oh, yep, that's how it should have gone. That's perfect. You can bring, you can take chaos and bring order. And because of that order, things go better. If you can maintain that order, it's even, even better. Some of you are good at bringing order out of chaos on financial levels. I mean, you can come into somebody's books on a, on a company and you say, well, let's do this and this and this. You move things around and you get, you get this order. Some of you do that with, even with businesses. That's what they do. They come in and they, they make a difference in this business uh, sector and you know, leadership and changing some things around, moving some things around. You can bring order into chaos. Well, today I'm going to talk about order as it pertains to the things of God. Order in the Godhead, order in the church, order in the family. And I will tell you that I think this is probably one of the areas that is more difficult, and I'm going to address a, a, probably one of the most controversial issues uh, in Christendom, and that's the role of women, in particular, in the church. I just want you to know before I even start making my comments that, you know, I, I've... I've read people on both sides of this issue. There's smart people. There's godly people, good people on both sides of this issue. And I've, I've come down on a place. I may, you know, probably have an opportunity or potential to, to make everybody upset because of the role, the place where I land on this, this issue. But I want, to, I want you to know that when I, I think about this issue, I don't think about I have to answer to, to man. I have to answer to God. I have to answer to him on how I've, translated this particular issue in, in my home, I'm certainly responsible for, and also the church. So we're going to take a look at that. So strap on, and uh, let me give you just a little background. The feminist movement actually started in America with, a, it's called the temperance movement. It was a wave of feminism in 1848 during the Women's Right Convention in Seneca Falls, New York. Here's the declaration statements of that 1848 gathering. It called for equal rights for women and men on the basis of education, rights to property, organizational leadership, right to vote, and marital freedoms. Those were the, the planks, if you will, on that particular platform in 1848. Now, about 20 years later, the right to vote at least got passed for in one state, and it happens to be the state that you live in right now, and that's Wyoming. In 1870 is when the women had the right to vote in Wyoming. It was the first, first state to adopt that. They passed the women's suffrage law on December 10th, 1869, and women voted for the first time in 1870 in Wyoming. The word, the word suffrage comes from a Latin word means suffragum, meaning the right to vote. So, Women in the United States had fought for suffrage, or the right to vote, for some time, actually since the time of Andrew Jackson's presidency, which was in 1820. Now, in 1960, a second wave of feminism was termed the Women's Liberation Movement. Women's Lib, so what it was called. It was the largest, broadest social movement in the U.S. history. Activists fought for gender issues, women's sexual liberation, reproductive rights, job opportunities for women, violence against women, and charges of custody and divorce laws. So there was a lot of things that continued to kind of push through as people have talked about uh, women's rights and, and uh, 
over, over the years. Well, today I'm going to focus on the role of women, particularly in the church. I tell you, we've, ex- we've uh, addressed some explosive topics. I've tried to address all the ones that, that we face in this world, but I don't know of one. There's probably some more passionate topics, but this one has divided churches, has divided no- denominations, and uh, I, I just really hope that as, we, as I at least try to explain my understanding of this and how I can defend this or how I can stand, as Doug was talking about, stand before God, um, maybe, hopefully, it'll bring some some clarity, hopefully, unity to this particular issue. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I don't have all the scripture on the screen, and because I was gone for three days, I didn't get all the scripture that I wanted sent off to the to the guys that make this. So, if you would follow along in the scriptures with me and see it for yourself, that'd be great. Our hosts are bringing a Bible. Make sure to just grab one if you don't have one, because I want you to see these verses for yourself. I want you to see it. If you don't have a Bible, keep this one. Star it, circle it, because I want you to see where some of these verses are so you can follow along. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And I want you to notice the order that is in the Godhead, in the church, when Christ over the man, that's the church, and within the marriage. Take a listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we got God, the Father, we've got Christ, we've got man, and I think that's mankind. I'll tell you why I think that. I'll show you some verses that I think he's talking about the church, which would be mankind. And then, and then you take another step down, man is head over woman. And so there's a structure within the Godhead, within church, within the marriage. And it's, a, it's a, one of those, those building blocks of a family, of the family fortress, if you will, to bring order to things. And I, hopefully I can ex- explain to you why I think this order is actually, if, if followed in the right way, can be very, very powerful. Let's first look at the headship within the Godhead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28 says, and this is kind of a confusing passage, and I'll I'll read it a couple of times. It says this, when all things are subjected to him, now I'll just, I'll say Christ, when all things are accepted to him, Christ, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. That would be God the Father. He is subjected to God the Father. God the Father has subjected all things to Christ. That's what this passage is saying. So that God may be all in all. God's in everything. Now within the Godhead, we know that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are one. Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Yet there's three distinct persons. And I will tell you, in that distinction of persons, there are roles, responsibilities, I'll give you some examples here. Let's look at uh, another passage, Galatians chapter four, verse four. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. So that's God the Father, sent forth his son. It's kind of, it kind of shows, doesn't tell, but it shows that God the Father has headship, if you will, or, or authority over the son to send the son. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. John 14, 26 talks about the spirit. It says that Jesus is speaking here. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, who is, 
whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring you your remembrance, all that I have said to you. So now with the Holy Spirit, we also see this Holy, the Holy Spirit sent by God, God the Father, in place of Christ. So Christ is actually, he can only be in one location at one time. Holy Spirit can be every place all the time, omnipresence. And he says, when, the Holy, when God the Father sends the Holy Spirit, he's going to do a couple of things. He's going to remind you of the things that I told you. He also, we also know that he convicts of sin. That's a, the, the Spirit's working. When you feel convicted, that's the Spirit of God. Your conscience quickened, that's the Spirit of God. So different roles. Christ, what did he do? He was the, he, he, he was the justifier. Christ, God the Father is the one that, who is just. And Christ, the, God the Son, is the justifier. So he was God the just and God the justifier. He's the one that set man straight for the sin that he had in Adam. Christ set us straight with God. He, he, he removed, he took, our, in, he took our, um, our sin upon himself and he gave us back his righteousness. He's the justifier. And so there's different roles within the Godhead and those are, those are explained and yet they're all one. Do I fully understand everything I just said? I'd have to say, no, I don't. I believe it. I try to explain it. But when you get down to the nuances, the disciples were confused too. They said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I'm like, well, okay, yeah. One God, different roles, and also some structure. Now, I will tell you the Godhead, you see God the Father at the top of the, of the, of the triangle, if you will, and God the Son over here and God the Spirit here. And so is there equality? Is there a, a rank? And there's some verses that kind of indicate more of a God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, a little bit, but I would say I'm not going to dive into that nuance distinction right now. There's definitely order in the Godhead to say God the Father has sent the Son, God the Father has sent the Spirit, and God the Father is the one that they subject themselves to, and, and God the Father is the one that's going to subject everything to Christ. And we get to see that played out in several different passages uh, throughout Scripture. So there is an order, a structure in the Godhead. How about Christ's head over man? Now here's the one that I believe I'm going, to, I'm going to call it mankind because it's men and women. Colossians 1 verse 18 says this, He is the head of the body, the church. He, that's Christ, is the head of the body. That's us. We're the body, we're the hands, the feet, the, the mouthpiece, the ears, we're the ones, the action, he's the head, we're the body, we're all one. There's that picture, that's a wonderful picture. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. There's going to be a picture of Christ being head over everything. He is going to be king of kings, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. But at some time, someday, all the governments... Everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth are going to bow the knee to King Jesus. That's what the scripture says. And at some point, God the Father is going to bring everything into subjection to the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, is every government under subjection of Jesus Christ? No. Is every household under subjection of Jesus Christ? No. Is every church? No. And even, even what I'm going to show you today is that we're going to we're do the best we can. Are we perfect? Of course not. 
I'm going to tell you, we're not going to get this absolutely perfect. We're going to do the very best we can. As a church, as you do the very best you can of understanding and applying this in your marriage. There is order in the Godhead. There is order in the Christ over ahead of man. And there's order within the, uh, the marriage. I'm going to go back to one more verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things, here it is, he put all things in subjection under his feet. He, that be God the Father, put all things in subjection under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Is it important? Is this church important? Yeah, it is. Does it matter that you, you, you come and you're a part of and you give your gifts and gives your, uh, make the church bigger, stronger, and better? Yes. It matters. This, this is the body. This is his, his plan. I don't know. I can discuss with him having a better plan. Lord, you know, assigning people to mess, the plan can mess it up really bad, right? We're not perfect. But we do the very best we can to try to come together and try to submit ourselves under, under his lordship and realize he's the head and try the best we can to understand this biblically to bring glory to God and be the church in our community. Stand for things that matter. Salvation, baptism. We're going to have baptism today. And uh, I will just tell you, last, last hour, I didn't think we could top the stories that were told. And this hour, I mean, already, it's like I went through, heard the stories, and it's like, you're not going to believe if, if we had time to hear the whole stories. It's amazing. But even, even baptism, very divisive. Everybody's got different opinions of it. The way that we, I don't believe, here's, but I can only tell you the way that we exercise or do baptism is in a way that reflects the, the leadership of our church, and we do it the very best we can to try to, to model what Scripture says about it. Does that mean we get it perfect? No, I, no. In fact, I think I've, I've actually improved my understanding in the last 18 months. I came across some information that made me go, wow, that's, that's interesting. Now, I don't believe baptism is salvific, for example. Because what that does, that would water down the blood of Christ. The finished work of Christ on the cross, his blood shed, that's salvation. That's justification. He, he set us right because of the blood of Christ. To say that water would add to that justification, that doesn't work in my head. It doesn't work with other scripture. But to say that that water is important, yeah, it's an obedience step. Like my ring is important. It says that I've made a commitment before God to my wife. Powerful statement. Jesus said, if you profess me before men, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. If you disown me before men, I'll disown you before my Father in heaven. He wasn't talking about baptism. But I will tell you, those are going to be baptized today, and I've already told them this. There's not a more powerful way that you can stand before God and the church family and your family and friends to say, I'm not ashamed to say that Jesus Christ is my Savior than to be baptized. It's very public. It's going to mess your hair up public. <laughs> right? So, so every one of us has to try to, but my, my growth and understanding of baptism just, I've been saying the last couple of years, I came across a guy that was talking about baptism and he, like me, believed, you know, the, to say that water is salvific, it's not, it's, he can't get there. But to say that water is important, is, it's definitely, it's definitely a, an obedience step. <coughs> Excuse me. And, but he used this example of, in the first century, they used to get into the baptistry, if you want the, the, the water, and before they would be baptized, they would turn around and spit I ask them not to do that because it might get on people. But they were spitting in Satan's face to say, you have no more hold on me. 
and I'm clinging to the things of Christ. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's a picture of it's what water baptism can do. It doesn't wash away sin, but it, it does say that I am being identified with Christ in his, his death, and I want to be identified with Christ in his resurrection. I am putting off the old. I am gaining the new, and it's a very picture graphic way of saying, Satan, you have no more grip on me. Because as greater is he that is in me than he is in the world, and I'm going after the guy in me, and I'm going to, I'm going to grab on with everything I've got. Okay? So even my, even my understanding of baptism has morphed, hasn't changed theologically, but it has, it's like, wow, the importance, this is a big deal. And I've, and I've told these guys, being in this church, it's a big deal. Being a part of a local body, it's a big deal. This is, Christ died for this thing. He is the head of this thing. We are the body of this thing called the ecclesia, the gathering, the church. Now we have structure. Now this is the part where man is head over woman. But I'm out of time. So, oh, good. We'll go right to our baptism. And, <laughs> uh, first thing I want you to talk about, first thing I got to talk about with this, this issue of men and women, you got to understand that there is equality. Okay? Just like in the Godhead, they're one. There's a oneness. Different offices, but one. Certainly the equality. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says this, and God said, let us the Godhead, God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, let us make man in our, plural, image, according to our likeness. Let them rule, let them, get it, them, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and everything that creeps on the, on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So him, in that particular case, is mankind. God created mankind in his image, male and female. What I, what I, the way that I can try to understand this is that God has this image, everything that's a part of him, justice to, to nurturing, um, strength to, to mercy. He's got this full gamut of who God is. And there's the more, if you want to call it, the more the strength kind of attributes, the image of God that is just, the, the image of God that is uh, that carries out justice, that, you know, the protection, the provision, those are the things he put in man. The woman, he put everything that part of his image that was, that he didn't cram into one vessel, which is man, he crammed into woman, beauty, creativity, nurturing. Now, can they have some crossover? Certainly. Can, can women do the, the justice thing? And certainly can man be creative? No question about that. There's definitely a crossover. But I would say in general, what he was saying is he created them and he gave two vessels and he gave a certain dose of his image into one vessel and a certain dose of his image into another vessel and in, in them is the fullness of that image. Let us make man in our own image. God created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything that lives and moves. Galatians chapter three, verse 28 says that this equality in a different way. It says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. All are one in Christ. Another picture of this oneness, of this unity, the equality, if you will, that God is trying to get across. Now, with that is their order or is there offices, or are there different responsibilities? 
And I'm gonna tell you up front, I believe that the answer to that is yes, there are. What are those roles and responsibilities? Let's look at Ephesians chapter five. Great place to start. This is where we get these two metaphors. We get Christ and the church as one metaphor and their relationship is a picture of how the husband is to relate to the wife. The way that the husband is to relate to the wife is the way that Christ relates to the church and the way that the church relates to Christ is the way that the wife is to relate to her husband. Mirror metaphors. The better you understand one theologically, the better you understand your marriage. The better you understand marriage, you go, okay, I get, this is how much Christ loved the church. Let's read it now. Ephesians 5, 22 through 27. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church subjects to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. <coughs> husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. How did he do that? He gave himself up for her. He died for the church. So just before you think that the Lord's asking too much out of the female, he's asking the male to die for her. That's what Christ did. He died for us so that we could spend eternity with him. And he says, this is how this, this relationship is supposed to be. And so I will tell you, if a woman has not has had a, ever lived or grown up in a household with a man that is overbearing or strong and is not Christ-like and not willing to die for her, she's never felt that modeled before. In fact, she felt real pressed. This is gonna be one of the most feared passages in all scripture. It will strike terror in her soul because this submitting to a man is terrifying. But if this man loves her like Christ loved the church, this submission is a piece of cake. It's a walk in the park if he's doing the job as Christ asked him to do it. Be willing to die for her because that's what Christ did for the church. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her by cleansing her with a washing of water with the word. In other words, what God wants, what Jesus wants to do is, is to make sure this bride is spotless. Is clean, and how does he do that? With the washing of water, with the word. He takes responsibility for the family. He takes responsibility for the marriage to make sure that, well, you're reading scripture together. Your, your, uh, your spiritual temperature is, is uh, growing in a relationship with Christ. And the, I believe the man's responsible for that. Christ took full responsibility that in our lives. He pursued us. He took full responsibility to grow us. Right? And so I think men, I think we're supposed to have that spiritual leadership responsibility in the home with your, with your spouse, with your kids. Make sure your kids get here. If they're complaining, don't make mom have to be the, the heavy. You be the heavy. Like, no, this is what we're doing. This is how we, this is how we do life. This is it. We're going to make Christ big in our home. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's like the rest of the world doesn't do it, and I know it, but I'm a better man because of this, and we're all going, we're going to go. That's a, that's, a, that's a strong, not demanding, but that's a strong position for a man to say, this is how we're going to go. This is how we're going to roll. Washing of the water with the word. I think this word, you got to understand how important this word is. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. 
Now, I don't know if it's every word of this, because, you know, this was a, a, a lot of things, but the truth of God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Do I understand everything I just said right there? No, I don't, but that's John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. Somehow, God took this word, which is with God and was God, in the beginning with him, and he, somehow, it became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ presence with us. That's, his, that's the word. So we, the, the idea of washing of the water with the word is like this cleansing of this church. We're supposed to read this thing together as a family and to, to cleanse things of our, even our own family. 2 Timothy 3.16 is another way of saying the same thing. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching all scripture, that means Old Testament, New Testament. With the stories in this thing is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God will be fully equipped, not lacking anything. This whole idea is that the word of God is, is to be used as a, as a way to say, how, or how do we know if we're being obedient? How do we know if we're doing what God asks us to do? It's like, well, we're square it with the word of God. I go to conferences and they give leadership ideas and all this stuff. It's like, that's good. That's really cool. What does God say about that? I go to conferences. It talks about all kinds of parenting. talks about dis discipline. It talks about all that. I want to know what God has to say about these things. I want to start there and see what God says about rearing children. What God says about the marriage, not society. I want to know what God says. And, and, if, and if God says something different than society is saying, I'm just like, well, maybe I should do some rethinking about, because this is what his word has to say. That he might present to himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and blameless. That's, what, that's why God is washing us with his word, trying to correct us with his word. That's why we read it. We try to do the best we can to interpret it and understand it and apply it. Is our application, application perfect? No, it's not. We're human. Do we the very best we can to make tweaks if we need to? Yeah, we try. 1 Peter 3, 7. This is another reason why, guys, you got to be really careful with God's word because sometimes guys will use the word of God in a, in a derogatory way. I just actually heard a story just, re just last hour. And the, the, the word was used in a derogatory way toward a woman. It's like, oh my gosh, that's, that is not what God was saying. We can misunderstand what he's trying to say. And this is what the warning against doing things wrong, guys. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. It doesn't say she is weaker. It says as she is weaker, as, she, as with someone weaker, like a, like a fragile, um, uh, more of a, a pottery, fra fragile uh, china than a piece of pottery kind of thing. Treat her the with that kind of tenderness. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Show of hands, how many guys want your prayer hindered? I don't want my prayers hindered, right? How many would you like to get your prayers right straight through to God? Well, then, then treat your wives in an understanding way. If you're not, according to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, you, it's hindering. I think it's important to take a look at that. 
make sure that you're being the kind of guy you're supposed to be. Finally, man is responsible. I think this is important. Um, we all know that, that Eve was deceived. If you've ever read the, the story in Genesis, we know that Adam created, was created first, and then God gave Adam the instruction manual to say, don't eat from the tree of the center of the garden. Every other tree you can eat, but not this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. You'll surely die. Eve was not created yet. No rib turned into woman yet. That happens about two, about two verses later. But she is not created when God gave Adam the instructions. Adam was responsible. And I think I can prove that. Now, did, did Eve, was Eve deceived? Yes. Did she get her um, a punishment? Yes. We saw that in chapter 3 of Genesis. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it shows very clearly, according to what Paul is saying about that scene, Adam was responsible. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Now, wait a minute. Paul, didn't you read that, you know, Eve was the one that was deceived. Man was responsible. Through one man sin entered the world. He was supposed to pull her aside and say, no, honey, listen, I was told by God, this, this, we, we can't eat from that tree. I know it looks good and everything, but we can't do that. Absolutely not. But he didn't, didn't do that. He was responsible. Through one man sin entered the world. Death came through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. This is a big, that's a big responsibility that he thwarted. Man is responsible. I think men, we're responsible before God for our families. I think we're responsible before God for the church. I think God has set up a structure to where uh, man is the head of woman saying that, listen, I'm supposed to take care of, I'm supposed to protect, that, and so that the woman can flourish with every gift that she has, creativity, beauty, all the things. But you take care of the structure, guys. You take care of making sure the tone is set. This is where the family's going, this is how it's gonna happen so that the wife can actually do everything that God's gifted her to do with freedom, I think it's supposed to be similar with, with the role of women in the church. Now, I'm going to read some, some verses here. Oh, shoot. I don't think I have time for this, so I guess we'll... I'm kidding. I, this, is a, this, is a, this is a very divisive issue. I just want you to know, and I know it is. And I don't want to come across dogmatic. I, don't want to, I do come across... I want to come across in, in fear and trembling in the fear of the Lord, but... It's like I've wrestled with this for a while, and I'll just tell you, there's good people, smart people, godly people on both sides of this issue. And I come down in a different, little bit different place than some of the people that I really admire. But I'm gonna give you, but I can tell you, it's, here's what I think is important. We're gonna have to stand before God for this stuff. I'm not gonna stand before my peers. I'm gonna stand before God. And I've gotta give an answer to him on how this, how this goes down. So I'm gonna share with you my own struggle and trying to understand the role of women in the church. Here's, some, here's the verses against, strong verses, by the way. I'll tell you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches. Pretty clear. I heard some ladies chatter when, right before church started. So, next time, none. <laughs> no, really, seriously, what does this mean? The women are to keep silent in the churches. Does that mean they can't, you can't talk when you come in? Does that mean you can't pray on this platform? Does it mean you can't sing? 
What is it? Where are you going to draw that line? Listen, every pastor, every leadership team has had to draw the line somewhere. I'm going to explain to you where I've drawn the line and why. And I will tell you, I'm doing it with fear and trembling. Okay. But this is a strong passage. It's a hard one to get around. Women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to, are to subject themselves just as the law says. Strong. First Timothy chapter two. Now Paul is talking to Timothy. And he's saying this, a woman must keep quiet and receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. So he's, he's unpacked it a little bit for us on this passage but to remain quiet. Now, just so you know, that word teach means teach, it could mean direct, it could mean admonish. I do not allow a woman to admonish or usurp authority over a man. That's what that could mean. Teach is another one. But when we say teach, that means like, well, we can't even, what does that mean? She can't read scripture, she can't talk. What does that mean? I, I'll just tell you, I'm going to give a leak out just a little bit of my view here. I, I believe what he's saying is, I do not allow a woman to, to admonish or usurp authority. Let's use that word. Or direct or usurp authority. Usurp authority. That's what, that's what a pastor role is. It's a directional role. We're going to go this direction. That's what an elder role is. We're going to go this direction. And the elders are to protect the... the uh, the theological and directional understanding, and if there's any church discipline, those, the guys are supposed to take care of that. So that within this, I think women can flourish with every gift that God's given them. That's my view. I'm gonna to try to unpack it a little bit more. Now, here's some verses for women. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. No, I'm sorry. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. You might want to scribble this one down. I don't think it's on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 says this. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or woman who prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, time out. Because it just said something, but every wife or woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. I thought we were, a woman was not supposed to speak in a church. Now you could argue, okay, pray, prays, she's got to, if she, if she prays, she's got to have her head covered and she's, she can't hear her talk. If you're going to prophesy, that's not quiet. Prophesying is saying, I've got a word from the Lord. They call it a word of knowledge. Back, go back to the first century. They had a word of knowledge and they were speaking out and they're saying, this is what I believe God said. And he says, okay, if a woman's going to do that, she's got to have her head covered. Well, wait a minute, Paul. You just told us that she's not supposed to speak at all. So what the heck? I think we, when we get scripture like this, we get them conflicting. Then we got to go back to some context. It's like, okay, what, is, what is actually going on here? I'm going to get there in just a second. The, the main thing that I think the Corinthians were dealing with is that they, if, if you read the context of that particular passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
There was speaking in tongues. There was women and men probably that were prophesying. And I think there was no order. I think there was chaos in the church and everybody had a certain word from God saying that God's told me this and God told me this and God told me this. Some, there's some churches today that still utilize these gifts. It's called the word of knowledge. And I've, I've been to those kind of churches before. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but I will tell you when it's out of order and it doesn't make sense, and there's some other instruction you're supposed to have. You're supposed to have an interpreter and all these other things. It's like, uh, I don't know, I'm a, little, I'm a little flimsy on someone telling me God told me this. I, I get this happens every once in a while. People say, God told me this about me or about the church or whatever. It's like, okay, well, we'll test it and see. Well, time will tell. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm always kind with it. And I don't want to neglect if somebody's got a prophecy. I, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's not a prophecy, but I'm going to test it. And it's going to have to square with this word. If it doesn't square with this, I'm, I'm not going to take it. It's not going to hit close to my, my heart. If it's from the word of God and I can see it. I've had some people actually say, call my mom. And I've told you this story before. She'd call my mom and say, a word came to me and I want you to share it with Galen at Psalms, whatever it was. And I can't remember right off the top of my head. I'm telling you, mom would share that with me. This gal had no idea what I was going with, going through. And it was just spot on what I was needing at that time. I felt like that's a, that's a word of prophecy. It squared with scripture. It was scripture. It squared with my circumstance. And she didn't have a clue what was going on in my life. That was pretty powerful. I let those in. When someone tells me other things, sometimes I say, well, we'll, We'll test and see, uh, and see what, what God does here. So how do, how do you do, deal with this? You got one passage that says, not speak at all. Uh, you got another passage that says, if she speaks, she's got to have her head covered, which is really submitting to her husband's, what I think is, or the authority of, of the church, and it's done in order. That's what I think. So does that mean she can't speak? Does it mean she can't pray? Does that mean she can't? What, what does that mean? I'll tell you what I, where I've drawn the line. I don't believe, as a lead pastor, that is usurping authority. As, a, as an overseer, that's usurping authority. To me, I can't get past the, those. But to speak, I've got verses that say, well, Paul allowed her to speak or prophesy. That's speaking in the church. As long as she's got her head covered, meaning it's, it's submissive. That's what it's getting after. Um, and, and it's done in an orderly way. So there's, I've kind of un, maybe unfolded my, my, my journey just a little bit, but it's reinforced. Romans 16, verses one and two. This is Paul speaking. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant or a deacon. The word is diakonos. Phoebe was a diakonos, a deacon, or a minister, or a servant of the church. Usually it says servant, but it actually means minister. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a minister of the church, which is in... Chinchuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever manner that she may have need of you. In other words, she's been so valuable to me. I want you to treat her as, as one of the saints, as, as a, take care of her needs. For, for she herself has been a helper for many and myself as well. I will tell you that Christ elevated the role of women. He, he stood beside the woman at the well by himself. He was not supposed to talk to a woman ever, and especially a Gentile woman. Guess what he did? He sat with and talked with a Gentile woman. His disciples came back and said, man, what's he doing? Man, I don't know, that's not supposed to happen. He elevated the role of women. There was women in his entourage. Were they apostles? No, but were they there and a part of? Yes. 
Were they the first to go see the, uh, the resurrected Christ? Yes. First to tell everybody that Jesus had raised? Yes. Pretty important messages, wouldn't you say? I don't know. You got to be really careful with this issue to say if women cannot do speak. And I will just tell you, I think what guys, if we do our job, we make sure this place is protected and we're taking care of the responsibility and the, the boundaries of the theological and the, and the direction of the church and taking care of the, even the church discipline things that are hard. I think within that place is a place for women that are gifted by God to flourish in every way possible. Save, senior pastor, elder. That's where I've landed on it. I don't know if it's right. I can stand before God. Here's what I, I think this is a debatable issue. I don't think it's a sin issue. That's my opinion. I, I, because, because I can find verses on both sides. I got strong evidence on both sides. So I think it's a debatable issue. I think you have to say, well, here's what was going on and what he's really after is some order. That's what I really think he's talking about. And guys are supposed to do the heavy lifting. I, I think that's what he's talking about. But I think it's a debatable issue and a debatable issue is like a meat offered to idols issue. Okay, or the wine issue. Should we drink wine or not? Debatable issue. I got verses on both sides of all these. And what Paul says, if, if someone says they're not gonna eat, uh, eat meat offered to idols, then don't eat it. It causes your brother to stumble. If someone says, well, no, no big deal for me, this is meat offered to idols, but it's, you know, we don't make anything of it. We just, it's meat. It's fine, we've cooked it. It's wonderful. Then he says, eat it with those. But don't eat it with those because it'll cause them to stumble. That's a debatable issue. Now, here's what he says about a debatable issue. It's in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. And it says, It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything in which a brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But... He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith and whatever is not done from faith is sin. Now, so in other words, it's like, I don't have the faith to eat this meat. Then don't eat it. Other person says, I've got the faith that doesn't matter. Some say, I do not have the faith to drink wine. Don't, don't do it. Grew up in a teetotaler family, whatever. Don't, that, don't. That's, it's like, no, it's no big deal in my family. Well, that's, as long as you don't abuse it, of course. But I mean, there's, a, there's verses about that. But do things in, in, out of faith. And if you can't do it out of faith, so in this debatable issue before God, I know that I'm gonna have to stand before God for the, the, ro the, uh, the role of women in this church in particular. And I can tell you, there's, there's could be two different ways to look at this. To stand before God and oppress women and say, okay, you can only do these roles right here, right here. That could be a problem if God said, you know, I give him this much and you only gave him this much. I drew a line where I can actually defend because I think the guys are supposed to take these roles. We're supposed to step up because not because we're smarter, not because we're better. It's because we are responsible just like Adam was. That's my view on this difficult topic of the role of women in the church. You're going to see that I believe that I want women to have, I want them to be maximized in their giftedness to the glory of God. And I will just tell you, I tell you, if, if women are set free and liberated to do what, they're, what they've got given abilities to do, I'll tell you what, um, 
churches are way better. And if guys will step up and be guys and protect and defend the perimeter, if you will, theological direction, get your kids and your family to church and take responsibility for the spiritual direct, the temperature of your, your home, the spiritual temperature of this church. If guys would step up and do that, wow. We have something really, really special. Would you pray with me? <coughs> Father in heaven, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this church body. Lord, I, I, I know that this is important. I know that, that we are the body of Christ. And I pray that every member of this body, men and women, will be fully able to express their giftedness. And Lord, somehow in all of this, we would be as spotless as possible. I know we're not gonna be spotless, but as spotless as possible. We will, we will adhere to your word the very best we possibly can. Not to cause anyone to stumble, but in the confidence and the faith that you provide. That's my hope and my prayer. Lord, I, I even preach this sermon. I stand before you with fear and trembling on this, this issue. There's, there's strong voices on, both, on all sides of this. God, I pray that we have the strength and the confidence to, to be in a right relationship before you on this important issue in our day. I lift this to you. I pray for those who are gonna be baptized today. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous.